Please turn in your New Testaments to Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. Acts 2, 36 through 41. If you're a Christian, you should be baptized. Let me say that again. If you are a Christian, you should be baptized. How do I know that? Because Jesus Christ said it. Most famously in Matthew 28, 18 and following, what we call the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Make disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here in Acts chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages about baptism and the command to be baptized. The Holy Spirit, just as it was promised, as He was promised in the book of Joel, fell on the believers who were tarrying in Jerusalem after Jesus had risen, after He had ascended and was seated at the right hand of God. And and as the Holy Spirit filled these believers and they poured out into the streets of Jerusalem, the streets were packed because it was the annual feast of Pentecost. And Jewish people from all over the world had come to celebrate uh, that beautiful uh, feast of the first harvest. And Peter stood up, filled with the Spirit, and with great unction and great power, proclaimed, using the Scriptures, that indeed, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah that we've waited for. He is the Christ. And he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, and God began to open the hearts of these folks and thousands of people that heard Peter. And the sermon ends with this bold line, and it is the first verse of our text today. Acts 2.36. Peter finished his sermon by saying this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain That God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you have crucified. Not a very seeker-sensitive sermon. (laughs) And we read in verse 37, when they heard this, and the Spirit was working in their lives, because it says when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? How shall we be saved? And Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children And for all those who are afar off and for all that the Lord our God will call to Himself. And we read in verse 40, And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His Word, who came to Christ, it says, were baptized. And there were added to the church that day, you ready for this, about 
thousand souls. And here's something uh, you don't hear every day: a Presbyterian preaching on baptism. <laughs> and I could start by reading to you from the Westminster Shorter Catechism the answer to the question, what is baptism? And I think I would like to read that to you very slowly, as it is very antiquated and beautiful language. Baptism is a sacrament that with the washing with water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, baptism as a sign, a picture, and a seal of our engrafting into Christ and of our partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our, and I love these words, engagement to be the Lord's. But I think what I'm going to do is give it to you in one sentence instead with two pictures. And here it is. Baptism is a badge of belonging and an engagement ring of longing. Let me say that again. Baptism is a badge of belonging and an engagement ring of longing. The first is the idea that baptism shows we belong. It is a badge of belonging. 3,000 people were baptized in Jerusalem that day. And of course, most all of them were Jewish people. Can anybody tell me what the Old Testament badge of belonging was? It was that, thank you, it was circumcision. And circumcision, like so many other Old Testament rituals, was a bloody ritual. And the sacrifices of animals and all these things, because it pictured Christ to come. It pictured the blood of the Lamb of God. It pictured the cutting away of the sin nature. So it's a very similar picture of baptism, which means washing away. This is more cutting away. But now, Jesus had, with His own blood, shed His own blood once and for all. He is the final Lamb of God, the, the, the Lamb of God without spot or blemish, the one that is acceptable to God, the, the suffering servant Messiah. And there will be no more blood rituals. Why? Because there's no more need for the shedding of blood, right? Because Christ has shed His own blood. And so Christ Himself, we read it in the Great Commission a moment ago, commands for a new picture, a new badge, to be the badge of this new covenant that He brings. And that is a bloodless sign, and that is baptism. And so you know what we got in Jerusalem? It's time for 3,000 people to get a new badge. This is pretty amazing if you think about it. And it is a massive step for a Jew to move from circumcision as the sign of the covenant of grace, age to age to age, as God had made that covenant with Abraham, the first Jew, it's a massive step for, for a Jew be, to believe in Jesus and, and to move away from circumcision as the badge of belonging to baptism. 
as the sign of the covenant of grace. And not only is that a big move for one of those people in Jerusalem gathered for the Feast of Pentecost because of history, but it's a big move because of what they're going to leave behind, namely the synagogue for the church. It's a big move because of what it means, not only of what will be in their rearview mirror, but what it means and this badge means as they walk forward in newness of life in Christ. It meant, baptism did, identifying your life from that day forward with Christ and with His people. That's what baptism is. It's a badge of belonging to Christ through His blood, His washing, and a badge of belonging to His people, the church. Now you know, in the the New Testament and, and prominently in the book of Acts, there are two types of baptism that we undergo. The first type is what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the move of God's Spirit to to unify our souls with Jesus so that we can have new life. Water baptism doesn't save anybody. The Spirit of God applies salvation to our, our hearts. And so we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know what happens to you? I mean, not only do you come to Christ, not only are you given the the Spirit, and all this is is simultaneous. But you become a part of the number of true believers throughout the world. We call it the invisible church. It's, It's the number of true believers, this huge thing called the church throughout the world and across time. But the other baptism is what we're seeing in this passage. Actually, it mentions the gift of the Spirit too. And that is water baptism, the sign of the washing of Christ. And and water baptism doesn't save you. It's just a picture of the covenant of grace. It's a picture of Christ's grace. But when you become baptized, you then have a badge that you belong to Christ and that you have entered His church on earth. There is no such thing as being a part of Jesus' church without baptism. Because baptism is the physical badge or sign of being a part of Jesus' church, of claiming Christ, of claiming the covenant of grace, and being His. And baptism marks us out. This is something public that we do. It marks us out as those peculiar people who are, willingly, who are willing to submit to another person rather than our own hearts. That's Jesus. Willing to submit to the leadership of God's church, namely the elders, and all under the truth of Christ and the Word rather than anybody else's supposed truth. It is a radical break with what has been in our lives, and it is the badge of what is true now. Baptism is serious. See, I don't think we treat baptism as seriously as we should. We think, oh, that's so sweet, they're getting baptized. Well, it is sweet. Grace is sweet. But the point isn't that it's sweet. 
The point is that is the badge of belonging. One for those young people, for ourselves in blood. The blood of the covenant. The early church broke with the world, broke with other religions, and were baptized into the church. Let me tell you what the early church, they were baptized right into the Colosseum at Rome to be killed. They were baptized right into massive persecution because they publicly acknowledged this badge of belonging, both they and their children. This is serious. This is a joyful, radical act of identification with Jesus Christ, come what may. I like that. You don't want baptism just to be a sweet little thing, do you? Now, this notion of the badge of belonging was not a new idea in Acts chapter 2. The new covenant that Jesus brought was rooted out of, comes right out of the old covenant. You see, salvation was always by grace in the Old Testament. And God's people were always to be differentiated from the world. And that is what circumcision was. It was the old covenant badge of belonging. Are you with me on this? It differentiated God's people from the world. It said, I belong to Yahweh and His people. And those who were not circumcised and and females were under the males. If you you did not have the badge of belonging, you were put outside of the camp. You could not enter these holy places in the temple. In the Old Testament, believing parents had the right given by God Himself to mark their children on the eighth day of their lives with this badge of belonging. What a gift! You know, not, not to let them just be little pagans until one day, but to say they are, they, God has given us this children, this, this, this child. God has given this child to a believer. We are setting apart, we are applying this picture, this sign of the washing of the blood to our children, and we are bringing them into the nation of Israel, into the church into the worship, into the fellowship, so that they might be raised in the love and admonition of the Lord, and so that one day, by faith, they too will put their trust, as Abraham did, in God and was reckoned righteous by faith, right? And that badge would just shine, you see. Because baptism doesn't save you either way. Whether you do it before, if your parents claim that covenant promise on your behalf, or whether you do it after You have believed baptism doesn't save anybody. It's just a picture. Water baptism, that is. The Old Testament is very important in our text. Let me read this again to you. And what I want you to do, I want you to listen out for an Old Testament passage embedded in the middle of of Peter's sermon. Okay? Listen, Listen to what I'm about to read. This is Acts... 239, repent and be baptized, 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, here it is. For the promise is for you and your children. And those who are afar off, and all that the, whom the Lord our God will call to Himself. Did you hear it? If you look in your bulletin, the first thing we read in our Old Testament lesson is this passage. It is the covenant made with Abraham in Genesis 17:7. You take your bulletin out, you want to see it right there. Peter uses shorthand. Peter says, for the promise is for you and your children. Instead of, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your children after you through the generations to be an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your children after you. Peter just says the promise is for you and your children. Now, tell me why. Tell me why in this day of new beginnings, when the Holy Spirit fell on the believers and the church in Jerusalem takes root, and begins to take shape. Tell me why, in the the midst of all this newness, why would Peter quote Genesis 17, 7 directly? Why bring that old stuff into this new day of salvation and new covenant? I'll tell you why. Because Peter is saying the badge has changed. Jesus changed it. But God is still the same. It's still the covenant, and Jesus fulfills the covenant. And you've got to understand something. To interpret Peter's words in Acts 2.39 outside of the Old Testament and only in light of New Testament Scriptures is a mistake. And here's the reason why. Because Peter said this to Jewish people that day. And there was no New Testament when Peter said this. The only Scripture they could interpret it in light of was the Old Testament. Was the Old Covenant. Well, hey, don't get nervous. You know it's always been a covenant of grace, right? It's not like Old Testament's law and New Testament's grace. You know, it's always been grace. It's one covenant of grace. And it's new again and improved in Jesus. So Peter does not say the promise was to you and your children and no longer now is only to you. He says the promise is, still is, to you and to your children. Now, what is new is the emphasis on those who are afar off and all that the Lord will call to Himself. This is a reference to the Gentiles in verse 39 and Paul's ministry to the Gentiles that we've been looking at over the last several weeks has showed us that in Jesus, you didn't have to grow up to be Jewish, you didn't have to be at the day of Pentecost to hear this, that the Gentiles too can wear the badge of belonging. That's us. And we count just as much as someone that came up Jewish. And our children 
can have this sign as well. And believers, people who believe, can have this sign, this badge of belonging. So that's the first thing baptism is. It's a badge of belonging. It is crossing over. Leaving something in the rearview mirror and radically identifying ourselves and our children with Christ. Isn't that beautiful? That's not just a sweet little ritual. Love it. Can't wait to do it. <laughs> Secondly, baptism's not just a badge of belonging. It is an engagement ring of longing. And I want to thank Lee Hutchings. We brainstormed this together, actually, in my office this week. And he was very helpful. In the Westminster Confession of Faith's definition of what is baptism, I'm going to read it again, and you'll see kind of what we've looked at in the passage thus far. The baptism is a sacrament with the washing with water. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, it is a sign, a picture, and a seal of our salvation, a picture of, of our engrafting into Christ, and the partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace. You got you with me? That's what we just read about. And then finally, and our engagement to be the Lord's. Hence the, the picture of an engagement ring. You see, baptism isn't just a badge of belonging. It is a sign of Christ's beautiful love. For his church, his bride, the church, and how he wants to lavish his love upon his bride. Baptism doesn't just say, I have decided to follow Jesus. Baptism says, I am his and he is mine. He is my beloved, my bridegroom. I am his bride. Baptism says that He has given Himself for us and we want to give ourselves to Him. In other words, there's something very dear and tender and beautiful about the picture of baptism. This means that we will grow closer to our bridegroom over time. But in baptism, there is also a kind of longing there is a longing for that day when Christ will return. And we read in Revelation 19 about this great wedding feast where the bridegroom will appear and His bride, the church, will be there and we will with self-forgetting joy feast at the big wedding party of the Lamb. And something in our souls wants to get close to Jesus now. We want to go deeper into His love and grace and truth. We want to learn to live out that love. But something in our souls wants to be with Him spatially. He is here. He is in His church spiritually now. He does reign. He does protect His church. He is ruling at the right hand of God and it is an engagement ring of longing for that day. You know, I, I love the moment in weddings where, you know, I'm kind of standing right, right here in the middle. And the groom is right here. And you know the moment I'm talking about. Those doors fling open, and there she is. There she is, the most beautiful bride, dressed in white. 
And then a procession of the bride coming down to, to be received by her groom at the, the front, the altar we'll call it, the front of the church, right? I mean, it's this beautiful moment that reminds us of the love of Christ for His bride. I love it because I get to peek over at the groom. I get to see His eyes fastened upon His bride. I get to see His body language of anticipation and, and excitement about this, this wedding. And with us, we are the bride of Jesus Christ. But it's a little different. It's kind of flipped, isn't it? It's, it's almost like we're at the, the front of the church. We are grafted into the local church. We are here until He comes. His presence spiritually is with us. He loves His bride. But we're at the front of the church. And we are longingly, with our engagement ring of baptism, showing the world to anybody that wants to see our ring. We are waiting in anticipation for that moment where, when He will fling the clouds open and march into history and claim His bride in person and in love. And that great feast of the wedding together. Baptism means that you love Him more than anybody else. That you long to be with Him. Now, we sin, we have to repent, we worship idols. All of the time, God's Spirit has to remind us that this is not the meaning of life. He is. This stuff doesn't drive history. He does. This isn't about the kingdom of God necessarily. He is our King. But more than a King, He is our Bridegroom who tenderly, passionately loves us. You've heard of Matthew Henry, the maybe the, the great Puritan scholar, pastor. Uh, a lot of us, probably once some of our first commentaries we ever bought were the Matthew Henry commentaries on the whole Bible. Well, Matthew Henry's dad was also a, a minister. His name was Philip Henry. And Philip Henry wrote a prayer that I'd like to read to you as we conclude. He wrote a prayer to be prayed on behalf of the person being baptized. Whether it was a person who was an adult, or whether it was a person who was an infant being presented in this covenant by the parents and being prayed on their behalf. But as I read to you this baptismal prayer, doesn't it sound a little bit like what you would hear at the front of a church at a wedding. And here it is. I take you, God the Father, to be my chief good and my highest end. I take you, God the Son, to be my Prince and my Savior. I take you, God the Holy Spirit, to be my sanctifier and my teacher and my guide and my comforter. I take the Word of God to be my rule in all my actions. And I take the people of God to be my people in all conditions. 
I do devote and dedicate myself to the Lord, my whole self. All that I am, all that I have, and all that I can do. And this I do deliberately, sincerely, freely, joyfully, and forever. That is baptism. A badge of belonging and an engagement ring of longing. Let's pray. Oh Lord, would you help anybody that's not been baptized here today to get the message that they need to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If they have received you, Jesus, as their Savior. But Lord, we pray also that as we think about baptism, God, would you improve our own? Would you take this prayer that, of Philip Henry that we just prayed, would you make it our own, Lord? Would you, would you give us that sense of being your bride? Would you rekindle the love with which you have first loved us, would you restore unto us the joy of our salvation? Would you grant us the passion of your glory and your kingdom and the sweetness of your presence more and more and one day to be with you forever? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.